Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Father, none of me and all of you. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would give me a fresh baptism, that as I preach this morning, that lives would change. Father God, that there would be in this place, Father, a revelation that would manifest itself in, our, in the way that we look at life, in the way that we look at those who you have called from the foundation of the earth and how we relate to people. Father God, this is a challenging message this morning that I'm about to give. I tremble as I prepare to give it. But Lord, I give it in faith, and I give it because it's your word. Father, I cannot add or take away. I am called to preach the gospel. And Father God, as I preach it, let it come forth with great power and anointing, with great authority, as only you can give it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter number 9. The Gospel of Mark chapter number 9. Verses 42 through 48. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 9. Verses 42 to 48. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is a a moment of time that I'm about to preach this morning about an extremely important subject. We have been talking about the loss for now uh, several weeks. This is the third part of our series. And I cannot preach about the loss without talking about hell. I know today that there are 
many pastors and Christians and theologians, to some degree, are very uncomfortable talking about the subject of hell. When was the last time any of you heard it preached about the subject of hell? How often do you go to your nearest Christian bookstore and you see a lot of books on hell? Yet, when you study the Gospels of Jesus Christ, what you will discover is that the only subject Jesus talked more about other than hell was money. Jesus spoke about hell very, very poignantly, and he did not mince words. He spoke about it in such a way that nobody could misunderstand or wonder what it was that he was talking about. Now, I know that I've heard people try to water it down over recent years, and they try to say, well, you know, hell, it doesn't mean it's really a place of fire, and it really doesn't, you know, it's really not that, it's just symbolic. I've heard people say, well, you know, I, I wonder if, if hell really exists. Perhaps, I, I think that when you die, you just simply just die, and that's it. Then there are some who say, well, you know, uh, hell is really here on earth, and that this is hell. And uh, a few years ago, there was one well-known bishop of a Pentecostal church who went all the way out of the way and just just totally just said that basically there is no hell. I stand here this morning as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing full well that this is an uncomfortable subject, but one we must talk about. Because it is, I believe, the enemy, and I want you to hear me, I believe that the enemy wants us to be silent about this issue so that people can go, to, so that people can go on thinking that it either doesn't exist or is watered down in some way because he knows if, if we don't just talk about it, then perhaps people don't really have to fear death. I can remember growing up and I always talk about being in a holiness church. They used, we, used to go to these, we used to go to church, and every now and then they would show these movies about hell. And it was a very, very scary thing. And so, you, you know, people say, well, you know, you really shouldn't talk about that too much because, you know, you don't want to scare people, and scare people from hell. Oh, yes, I do. If I can scare you into heaven, out of hell, that's exactly what we want to do. I believe. That having, if we hear this morning, I'm going to teach you a little bit this morning because I want to come right from the word. Because my hope is that those who have relatives and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and spouses who do not know Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this. There is no in between. Either you're going to be with Christ or either you're going to spend eternity in hell away from him. Period. There is no in-between. There, there, there is not, there's nothing else there. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, then after that comes the judgment. So you and I are the light of the world, so we are to go about and we are to warn men that at least they repent and come to Christ. 
They cannot have eternal life. They will spend eternity in hell. Now, when I read, we're going to talk about some of these things this morning, and I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be very, I hope it shakes your foundation. I hope it gets you moving. I hope that you really look at the relatives and the people that you love, and you get reinvigorated and re-inspired. Because how many of you believe that this Bible is God's word? Now, some folks say parts of the Bible is God's word. They try to discredit this. The only problem I have with that, I say, well, you know what? If I can discredit a little bit of the Bible, then for me, I might as well throw the whole thing in the garbage. Because I don't know what is true and what is not true. Either this is the counsel of God or it's not. And so I'm here this morning to preach the word of God. And when we and when you hear this word this morning, I know it's challenging and I know it's a word that's going to, you know, that's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And if you happen to be not saved in hearing this message, then it's definitely going to challenge you. But God loves us that much that we must tell the truth. The Bible. Listen to this. There was a. uh, A survey done by George Barner. Watch this. It said that 67 percent. Listen to this. 67 percent of Americans do not believe in hell. That means if I got my math right, 33 percent of Americans do not. Only 33 percent of Americans believe in a literal hell. Only 33 percent believe that there's hell. So 67 percent of Americans don't believe it exists. Why is that? When the Bible is very clear that it exists. Why don't people believe? You go in some churches today, they won't even talk about the subject. I mean, most of gospel messages today are relegated to the here and to now. And we need to live here and now. You understand that? You know, we need to have our needs met. We, we need to be able to, to prosper. And, and all of those, nothing wrong with that. But how many know you got to preach the whole counsel of God? So when it, when it, when it tells me that 67% of Americans don't believe that hell exists, then that tells me the church is not doing its job. That we need to be able to warn men. And I believe that it's directly tied to people not submitting or coming to Christ. Because take, take for example, somebody that commits crime. But let's, let's say a person who is tempted to commit crime, but then he or she knows that if I commit this crime, if I commit this murder, if I commit this robbery, that I will go and spend the rest of my time in prison or could. I mean, no, for a lot of people, it's the, the consequence that keeps them from performing the act. So it is in the word of God. What would keep, I believe in part, what would keep people from going to hell is that we got to preach about this issue of hell. We got to deal with this this morning. The reality of hell. Let's talk about it for a moment. The Greek word for hell is gena, G-E-E-N-N-A. It means the place or state of the lost and the condemned. So what is hell? Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Watch this. A place of internal underscore conscience. That means 
that hell, contrary to what some people believe, that you just kind of die and you just don't exist. You're not you're, you're totally just off into some place. No, no. You're going to live eternally someplace. You're either going to be with Christ or you're going to be in hell. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. Look what it says here. And we, and we just read this here in a moment in Mark chapter number nine. I'll just kind of underscore a couple. Look at verse 44, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What is Jesus talking about there? Verse 46, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There it is again. Verse number 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a place of weeping and wailing. Matthew 13, 42 says the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Anything where there's wailing, how do you know it's pain? There's suffering. There's heartbreak. When there's wailing, there is no joy. There is no peace. Everything that is bad, everything that we understand that is negative, terrible, horrible, it is all wrapped up in this concept of hell. Hell is a place where there is no peace. There is no joy. There is no happiness. And once a person goes to hell, God forbid, because we don't want anybody to go there. There is no turning back. It's not like one can go and say, okay, I, I changed my mind, God. Now I'm ready to come back. No, once you die and a person goes into hell, he or she cannot say, hey, wait a minute. I, I, I want to get, I want to turn around and try this all over again. The Bible says that Jesus is long suffering. Why is he long suffering? Not willing that any should perish, but that all come to a knowledge of the truth. So why, so why is God so patient? And we're thinking, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. Because he knows that this is it. Should a person die and refuse to accept his sacrifice? So everything, this is a place of torment and fear, gnashing of teeth. That speaks to fear. Torment. Weeping. Sadness. Everything that we hate in this world negative, it, it peaks in hell. It peaks in hell. There's also Hades, which is basically hell and Hades. There's a difference between the two. Hades is the place, is the abode of the dead. It's when folks who are there, they are awaiting their final judgment. Hades is a temporary place that receives non-Christians until God's final judgment of the end of the world. And we're going to talk about Hades here in a moment. So hell is a place of conscious torment. Look at Revelation chapter 14, <clears throat> verses 9 through 11. And I don't expect to get any amens this morning. I expect you to be serious. I expect you to hear this morning, and I expect you to be in prayer. 
Revelation chapter number 14, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image. Now this is speaking to the last days. This is speaking during the time, talking about when the Antichrist sets up his system on the earth and people begin to follow him. It says, if anyone worship the beast in his image and receive his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke. Listen to this of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest. Listen to this. This is horrible. Have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. The picture there is that hell is a place of torment and they have no rest. They have no rest. They are consciously aware of what is taking place. They have no rest day or night. I want you to get the picture because this is hell. Revelation 20.10 says this. The devil who deceives them. The devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, while I'm preaching this message this morning, I want you to be thinking about those that you love. I want you to be thinking about those that you have relationship with and those that you know who have not given their life to Jesus Christ. And as I'm preaching, you should be praying for them. Who goes to hell and why was it created? That's two questions we're going to ask. Who goes there and why was hell created in the first place? Turn to Revelation chapter number 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelation chapter number 20, verses 11 through 15. This is called the great, the great white throne judgment. Look at verse number 11. Then I saw, starting in verse number 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. 
and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is a judgment for the wicked. Who are the wicked? Because you know how we like to compare ourselves and the human nature. You know, we, we look at certain people and, 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 and we say, okay, I'm not as bad as that person. So, you know, and we compare ourselves with ourselves, which the scripture says is not wise. And people believe, they say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not as bad as such and such. I mean, doing that, I mean, so God understands and God is going to, you know, he, he, he's, going to, he's going to bless me still, you know, even though I haven't surrendered my life to Christ. Wicked people are those that refuse Jesus Christ. They reject his son. And it's more to Christianity than just saying, I know Jesus, because the Bible says that the devil believe and they tremble. So when we talk about salvation with regard to Jesus Christ. We're talking about a life that is surrendered to Jesus, whereby we make him our Lord and our Savior. We live for him. We have relationship with him. The great white throne judgment is a judgment for the wicked or unbelievers, those who have rejected Jesus Christ. He talks there about the book of life. What is the book of life? The book of life is the set of names of those who will live with God forever and ever. Hopefully, that's each and every one of you. The book of life. Think about it. Everyone who received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is written in the book of life. In other words, it's simply a way of saying that God has your name on the roll. God has your name on the roll. You remember being in class, they said, I don't know if they still do it. When I was little, they used to read the roll. They call your names. Here, here. You remember that? They still do that now? They probably don't do that anymore. Here, here. They read the roll and go all the way down the line. So the book of life, what is the book? The book of life is everybody whose name is written. But the scripture says that whoever name was not written in the book of life was, look, it says anyone who, who found, any, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is what we're talking about this morning. How I many know this is serious business? How I many know people? This is why people don't want to talk about it. We just rather avoid it. But, you know, if, I really, if you really love somebody, you tell them the what? Truth. You tell them the truth. You can't say you love somebody because if I'm, listen, I imagine that if I wasn't saved, I don't want to imagine that because I love being with Jesus. Trust me. But I would be quite offended if somebody I knew knew about this, knew about this word, knew about hell and the judgment to come, and yet they supposed to have been my friends and they never said one word to me about Jesus. Never uttered a word to me. Never said two words to me. You were my neighbor. You were my friend. We hung out together. You never told me about this. You never mentioned this to me. Hell is real. 
Understand that. Hell is real. Just as sure as I'm standing here today, this is about spiritual warfare and battle. This is why Satan, this is the fight between the army of darkness and light. And you know God is going to win because the book declares us winners. We understand that. See, this is spiritual warfare. That's why the church chairs is not filled up, because it's spiritual warfare. The enemy don't want people to hear the truth. He don't. He Listen, he want to drag as many people as he possibly can. He wants you not to talk about Jesus. He don't want you to say anything. He wants you to be comfortable. He's fine with you every Sunday coming to church, sitting in your seat and saying nothing to nobody. He'll, he said, that's cool because he can't do nothing about you because you're already if you're saved, you're going in if you're saved. So he's fine if you just come to church and you just sit and you just chill. The devil's fine with that. He just don't say nothing to nobody else. Don't warn anybody else about hell. The Bible says, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels that's revelation 3 5 he speaks there about the second death which is the worst kind of death because the second death you know you die physically if you don't know christ that's one type of death the second death has to do with that eternal judgment where one is cast into fire that is called the second death the second death. So in here in Revelation chapter number 20, verses 11 through 15, it's important to note that this judgment is not for believers. It's for unbelievers. Now, how do we know that all the Bible says that all of us Christians will have to stand before Christ? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter. No, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 10. Now, here is the description of the judgment if you will, of the believers. Because every one of us is going to have to give an account to Jesus for how you live your life. Each and every one of us. For we must all appear, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 10. Talking, he's, and Paul is talking to the Christian church, to the Corinthian church. He's talking to believers here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the Christian's judgment has to do with reward-based systems. In other words, you and I are going to be judged for our stewardship. Now, you can lose your reward as a Christian based on how you live. I remember I had this one guy said to me, and I don't think he knew what he was saying, but, he, but you know what? God used him to get me into the kingdom. But he's always preached to me. And he would tell me about I need to give my life to Christ. But he was, you know, he was full of, you know, he was full of lust and, you know, he was always, you know, very, very worldly in his orientation. But you know what he used to say to me? And it stuck to me to this day. This was over 20 years ago. He used to say to me, well, you know what? And I used to say, man, I used to say, you know how, you know how the world, you know, people in the world, how, we, how, how people in the world, they, they get religious? 
You know how you know, people that are not saved, as soon as you do something wrong, they, they become evangelists, they become Bible scholars and teachers, and they begin to preach to you about how you're supposed to be, you know, those kind of people. And I used to look at him, I used to say, brother, you, you're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you acting like that? Why are you looking at that person and you acting? Why, why are you doing that? He said, well, I am saved. He said, I, I'm just going to lose my reward. And that's what he used to say to me. I, I'll lose my reward, you know, I, you know but I, I'm saved. I know, the, I know Jesus. Now, I'm not to say I'm not going to judge him. But, but, but think of this as a Christian. Everything, see, now watch this. Some people got this crazy idea that somehow we're going to be in heaven and we're just going to stand there for all eternity and just praise and worship Jesus. We're just going to walk around heaven on the streets of gold and just, just have a party for eternity. You're going to serve him in heaven. There's a kingdom. See, the kingdom. There's things to do. We're going to serve. We're going to serve and we're going to, we're going to know each other. We're going to, yeah, we're going to fellowship. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be as God intended it from the beginning. But if I'm only, listen, if, if, if you and I only average about, what, 70 years if we're blessed, What determines how you're going to serve God in heaven will determine what, what determines how you're going to serve God in heaven is all dependent upon how you serve him right here on earth. Now, you compare, you do the math. 70 years, eternity. Which one is greater? So then watch this. So how I live my life here on, on earth is going to determine how I'm going to serve God in heaven. That's why the Bible said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So you who have served God faithfully, done things behind the scenes, you serve, and nobody else sees, God sees. And he's going to reward his saints accordingly. So for the Christian, our judgment is all based on reward. We can suffer a loss based on if our works were not right, if we did it with the wrong motive, if we didn't serve God at all. All, all of that's going to come into account. It's going to determine how we're going to serve God. I don't know about you, but I want to have high-ranking status in heaven. That's just me. And I'm not talking about what you might be thinking, some authority. No, I just want all that God has for me. I want to be in a place where I can serve him in optimum grace. I dare not want to hear Jesus say to me, you could have had this, and you could have had that, but you didn't do this and you didn't do that. I don't want to live, live a mediocre Christian life. No, I want to serve God to the fullest now because it's going to determine how I'm going to live my eternity. You right now, you are laying out your eternal, uh, 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 the way you're going to serve God, your eternity. You're laying it out every day. You wake up and you get out of your bed. You are setting up how you're going to serve God for all eternity based on how you live your life as a Christian. Think about it. Boy, that'll change how you think about some stuff. So for the Christian, the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we're good. We don't have to worry about being judged or thrown into the lake of fire. But we should be terribly concerned about those who are. Well, what was hell? What was, who was hell created for? Look at Matthew chapter 25. Did you realize that hell 
was never ever created for man. Did y'all know that? God, when he created the heavens and the earth and he put Adam and Eve out there, he said, look, I want you to go multiply, populate the earth. Uh, do you not know that it had absolutely nothing at all? God was, you know, this had nothing to do. This wasn't God's plan that the whole earth and the whole human race is in war, constant conflicts. The Bible says that the thoughts of the men's hearts continuously were so evil that it grieved God that he even had created man. He was so sick in his soul. Because he said the thoughts of the hearts of men was consistently evil. God didn't plan this. But he made us in his image whereby we could choose. Because God is a God of choice. So, why was hell created? It was created for the devil and his angels. You remember the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. And you can read it in Revelation 12.4. I won't have you turn there. But Revelation 12.4, it talks about how that there was war in heaven and a third of the angels followed Satan because they rebelled against God. A third of the angels fell in their rebellion and there were a whole lot of folk follow him. You know, people who do not follow Christ or receive Jesus as Lord and Savior by default. They are servants of the wicked one. They follow the enemy. Well, I ain't following no devil. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Until you give your life to Christ, you are following the powers of darkness. Hell was created for the devil and his angels and everybody else who want to follow along. They go there. But how many know God doesn't throw? Well, how can a good God throw or put somebody in hell? No, God. First of all, God didn't create hell for men. Secondly, God doesn't send people to hell. He doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. Nobody can. And people try to blame God. Oh, why would God allow somebody? God doesn't. Listen. God don't send nobody there. Listen, he did all that he could do. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. He clothed himself in human flesh. He came all the way from glory so he could be with us to rescue us. God gave us a remedy. Everything, even in the Garden of Eden, when they had sinned against them, he guarded the tree of life so that he could come back and make sure that we were covered. He is our ticket. He is the insurance card that, that we can be delivered from a life of destruction and ultimately eternal punishment. He did everything that he knew to do. Jesus is doing everything. God came down and subjected himself. You think about this. If I was king for a day, I don't think that I'd be dying for some rebellious people in my kingdom. I'd just get them off, wipe them off. But he died. He came, subjected himself to wicked, evil people. The Bible says when, when Jesus came, he went around doing good, healing folk, blessing folk, and people they, they just rejected him. He is the only way to life. There is no other way. He has done all that he could do. He made a way. He didn't just say, okay, you're on your own. He made a way for us. He made a way. He made a way. The world can know there is hope. You don't have to stay here. Oh, I'm depressed. Well, you don't have to stay there. I don't have any hope. You don't have to stay there. Jesus is the answer. That's why we must preach Jesus. I don't care. Listen, I had one guy one time tell me, he said, look, do me a favor. He asked me to do his funeral. Not his funeral, I'm sorry. It was a relative. And the first thing I said, I want you to hear me. 
And I don't want you to think I'm being insensitive about this because I, I'm, I'm very sensitive about it. Very, very serious subject. He said to me, he said, if I could do, if I could do his relative funeral. I said, well. And he specifically wanted me to talk about his brother and how that he was in this good place. And I asked the question, well, was he religious? Oh, no. Did he have a relationship with God? No, I never, never talked about it. I said, well, I can, I can do it, but I can't do that. And I remember going to the funeral, and I still end up speaking. I said some words, but they had another preacher who came in, and he just stood there, and he said how wonderful this guy, how he was in heaven, just what the family wanted to hear. Now, I don't really know for sure. I wasn't, I don't know the man, but I don't lie for people. If I, if I have to preach a funeral, I'm preaching to the living. And if you happen to be dead, you serve God, he did it well, I'm going to talk about you. But if you didn't, I'm not going to talk about you. Just can't. Because I don't want to give people the illusion that everybody is in heaven with God. Because that's the way the world thinks. If anybody dies, they go in a better place, right? And then we say about everybody. That's what we say. Everybody go into, no, they do not. If they don't know Jesus, they are not in a better place. They're in a far worse place. Period. They're in a worse place. There is no better place. Outside of Jesus. He is the only way. And there must be an urgency in our spirit to tell people the truth. And stop this lying and, and stop propagating the lie. Because it's a, it's a lie that comes from the pits of hell that says that everybody who dies, they go in a better place. It's not true. If you believe your Bible, it's not true. And that's why I read this Bible. That's why I'm reading it to you so that you can hear it. So that you can look at it and see what it says. Because I don't want you to say, well, Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary ain't said nothing. I'm just telling you what this says right here. So you can, you can make up your mind. Look at this in Matthew chapter number 25. Verses uh, 31 through uh, 41. I'm going to skip a couple of verses, but I'll read right on through. It says, when the Son of Man come in his glory... And all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me drink. Listen to this. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I'm sorry. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, those, the righteous are those who are in Christ, will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see? Now, I want you to think about what you did yesterday at, at, at the homeless shelter. You see what Jesus said there? He said, when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. 
But watch what he says. He goes on a little bit further. And the king would answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to least, least of these, my brethren, you did it to me, verse 41. Then he would also say to those on the left hand. Now, these are the left hand that characterizes those who are not believers. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Who was it prepared for? But he said, that the person, this evil person, this wicked person, departs from me and go right there where they are because you've def- you, you decided to follow them. And, and look what he says here. For I was thirsty and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, I'm, I'm sorry, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked. You did not clothe me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we... See you hungry or thirsty or stranger, naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he would answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment. This is serious business. See, this is what church is about. I want you to get that into your spirit. Everlasting punishment. That means a punishment that never stops. A punishment that never stops. But the righteous enter eternal life. Jump on over our last scripture verses we're going to read. is in Luke chapter number 16. And I hope this morning as you're hearing these, this sermon... You need to meditate on it. Send it out to some of your friends and your neighbors if you need to. Because no man or woman should spend eternity in hell. It should not happen. It should not happen. And neither one of us never want that to be on our hands, that we had the chance to say something and we didn't. Here in verse number 19, And I said Luke chapter 16, right? Verses 19 to 31. And many theologians believe that this was an actual real story only because Jesus used names. Usually when he gave parables, oftentimes he didn't use names. But here he uses names. Now, it's not the same Lazarus that he rose from the dead. Uh, But many theologians believe. But whatever the case, I want you to think about this for a second as we begin to read this. If there was no hell, like so many people say, why does the Bible and Jesus talk so much about it? Why is Jesus giving this parable right here? He's talking about hell. I want you to listen to this because this right here summarizes everything that I talked about this morning and it puts it in summary form. So that you can see that it all ties in together. Look what he says here. Verse number 19, starting there. There was a certain man, rich man, who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. So we're talking about a man who's rich. We're talking about a man who's, who's perhaps material, materialistic, who have his needs met. One of the things about being rich is it gives a person the false sense of, you know what, uh, if I have money and I can get anything I want, then I'm good. I can even buy my salvation. A lot of rich people believe that. All they need is their riches. Watch this. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid, who was laid at his gate. 
desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, Abraham's bosom, this is the only place in scripture where Abraham's bosom uh, is spoken about. And Abraham's bosom is a type of heaven. That's what it represents here. Verse 23. And being in torment. Now, watch this. Rich man being in torment. Torment in Hades. Hades is a place of torment as well. Hades. Remember, we talked about Hades earlier because it's the holding place until. But it's not the final destination. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. Now watch this. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in torment in this flame. Now, I want you to hear this about heaven, about about hell, Hades. It's a place of torment. It was so bad. He said, do me a favor. He said, just get Lazarus just to dip his finger in some cold water and just, just, just cool my tongue. This is so bad. Can you imagine? Just a little bit of water because I am in torment. See, hell is a tormenting place. If people think this is hell, they have no clue. They have no clue. This Earth is snippets of it. See? And it's the fruit of those that follow Satan and his rebellion. That's why we have the problems that we have on this earth. Snippets of unrighteousness. But, but hell is the full bore or the, or the consummation of all wickedness in its full form. But look what he says. Dip. So, so here's what we can gather from this. In verse 24, he's conscious, right? He's alert. To the point that he says, get Lazarus to come and just give me just a little bit of water and cool my tongue. For I am in torment in this what? Flame. 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 But Abraham says, son, remember that in your lifetime, you receive your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. If there's no hell, why is Jesus constantly, what is Jesus talking about? I want you to hear this. What is Jesus talking about? And besides all this, watch this. Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. In other words, when somebody goes to hell, it's not like you and I who, may, who, who are in heaven who know Jesus can say, oh, hold on for a minute. Let me go talk to my brother, or my aunt, or my sister, or whoever, or my friend over here in hell. You can't do that. There's a great golf fix. There's a divide. There is no communication. Remember, there's nothing good about hell. Nothing good about it. It's pain, torment, suffering, depression, anguish. All of that stuff is, that's why we all, you hear me say that depression and all that is demonic. That's what comes from the enemy. Because it's, 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 it's what hell is. It's, it's all of that ratcheted up. It's the worst of worst. Now, I want you to see that, 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 that this rich man being in this situation, I want you to hear. 
He's in torment. He's in pain. But listen to this. He says in verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house. Watch this. For I have five brothers. See, now he's getting he's getting evangelistic, but it's a little bit too late. Okay. Now he's in torment. It is so bad, so bad. He says, I got five brothers, five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now he gets it. He said, do me a favor. Do me a favor. I got some brothers. I got five of them. Please send Lazarus. Somebody go preach to them. Don't let them come to this place. He wanted to listen. He wanted to communicate with those he loved. He couldn't do it. Then he says, do me. Just, just, just go tell them how horrible this place is, how, how bad this place is. I don't want my brothers to come into this place. Please, somebody, want, please send Lazarus. Don't let him come here. Even in his own pain, this is so bad. He is thinking about people that he know and love and he don't want to be in this place. It's an attitude that you and I got to have. Because he realizes his money can't save him. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his what? So what shall it profit? What shall it profit? He's sitting there now. He's in torment. He's in Hades. And he is saying, please go tell my brothers. Let them know. Don't let them come here. Please, whatever you do, please. You hear the spirit of God right now. You know better. Abraham said to him, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Hear that. If one goes from the dead, they will repent. If one goes from the dead now, they'll they'll change their mind. But watch what he says. He says, verse 31, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one arise from the dead. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, you know there were still people who weren't persuaded? See, they're just, listen, here's the hard reality. There's some folk that's just going to go to hell. Ain't nothing you can do about it. That shouldn't make you insensitive. That shouldn't make you keep your mouth shut. It should do just the opposite. But Jesus rose from the dead. And there were those, the Pharisees in particular, who got so mad and so angry. You would have thought that if somebody get up from the dead, death could not even hold them, that there must be something about this man that's violent, something about him that suggests that he's, he knows God. And they still didn't hear him. And you, go, and you and I go today and we preach Jesus. And, you know, there are still people who don't hear. And Jesus came up from the dead. How do you avoid hell? Very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only way that a person can escape the pains of hell. There's no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't be cute enough. You can't be rich enough. You can't be cool and suave enough. There's only one way to escape the powers of darkness and hell, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's it. 
That's God's provision. Nobody have to go here. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I've, I've talked to my friends of mine. They don't want to hear me. So what are you going to do? What do you do? They don't hear me. They don't want to hear. What do you do? How many times did you hear the gospel before you finally came to the truth? Whether it was on the radio or whether somebody preached you was in church or somebody just happened to tell you, tell you. I believe this, that as long as a person has breath in their body, that you can figure out a way to share the gospel. Now, the gospel message can come in a various different way. It come, last night was one way that the gospel message came, last night. Because you were a light. You were a light. When people know that somebody, real Christians, came into that place and served them food. They know that. They, okay, you're light and darkness. That's what I did. I came there and I said, I'm a representation of Christ. I strike up relationship with it. I talk to you. I'm here today because I love you that much. I don't want to see you eternally separated and spend eternity in hell. It's not what folks like to talk about. But it's the devil that tries to keep people silent. And I'm not going to be silent about it because too many people are going to hell. Too many people are dying and believing a lie. Well, you know, hell doesn't really exist. It's not really a fire. Oh, well, if I die, then it'll just all stop. It'll all get better. No, it won't. No, it won't. Not if they they don't know Jesus. It won't get better. And then you need to take this word and say, well, here's why I know it won't get better. And you need to be able, just like I just talked to you about it, show them the scripture verses. This is what the Bible says. This is the Bible that you say you believe. This is what everything I gave you this morning comes right out of here. And I tried to get, I didn't even try to get fancy with it. I just tried to give it to you raw as it's given. So that you can say, you know what? I got work to do. You and I have work to do. And I, I don't know, if, if that doesn't motivate you to go up and witness and tell people about Jesus, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even matter where people are currently. It doesn't matter what their situation is. What matters more, even if somebody is poor, they're broke, they are um, uh, have no money, they're in prison, they're, it doesn't really matter if you can get to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can get saved and, and come to know him. You know what, we You've done your job. You've done more for that person than you could ever do. No amount of money could ever do more than giving a person and talking to them about Jesus and seeing somebody come to Christ. This is what it's about right here. This is what it's about, folks. And listen, I know that this was an uncomfortable message. I know some of you may be in disagreement. You may be saying, well, I don't really believe all that, Pastor. Somebody may be listening to this tape, and they're saying, well, you know, I don't really believe all that. You know, as a law enforcement officer, people tell me sometimes they'll, they'll disobey the law and they'll say, well, I don't believe that. They try to tell me, I say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's what it says. God ain't asking you what, whether or not you think it's true or not. It's true. There's an objective truth. Jesus is that objective truth, period. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. And don't walk out of here trying to compromise and water it down. No more. Because when you water it down, people don't know the truth. And they don't know the truth, they get deceived. They die and they'll go to hell. And I love people and you love people too much to let that happen. Let's pray. Every head is bowed.